0: Required everyone to to have masks even when they're in the event space, and that was kind of a bummer. Walking around with masks all day, but it was it was better than you know all of these virtual events
1: yeah right guys uh, we're gonna start it's twelve o'clock. Uh, thank you very much for um, coming together today. um this is our thirty fourth episode. Um, we've been chatting to uh, four founders, up to four founders every every Monday, pretty much since the beginning of the year. So this uh, session is uh, called uh, UK Tech Investment Weekly. Uh, I'll share the background to it. Um, we have been uh, collecting investment data, pretty much uh, which companies were raising investment in the UK and who, uh, who are the investors backing them since um, May 2018. Um, we started sharing that data through a newsletter on Monday mornings. And then we turned that into a web application as people wanted to analyze that data. Uh, in addition to that, we started to um, host uh, two press release sites, one for investments. So the, the founders who are attending today, they, their stories have been published. And uh, and the other side is for uh, tech TechMNA, uh, both specific to UK market. Um, and then, Since I uh, got access to Clubhouse and uh, we started this session back in, I can't remember exactly which day, but uh, sometime late January or early February this year. Uh, Let me introduce my two co-hosts. Stuart, would you mind introducing yourself, please?
2: Yeah, Stuart Townsend, um, calling in from sunny Lancashire. Obviously, lots of irony, as usual. Uh, I'm a consultant that works with B2B SaaS companies, helping them build out their indirect channel, their um, channel sales. And I also have some investments into a UK-based SMS company and a US-based podcast data company. Thank Thank you, Stuart. Uh, Andrew, would you mind introducing
1: yourself, please?
3: Uh, My name's Andrew. I'm based in Manchester, and I run a, a health tech
1: startup that sells scheduling software into the NHS. Uh, thank you, Andrew. And in terms of myself a bit more, uh, I founded my first tech company in 2004, uh, a massive disaster, lost everything I had over the next two years, but I stayed in the tech ever since. It's, it's a bit of a drug and you're addicted to it, you can't get out. Um, and uh, today, uh, these days, I run an organization called Texeret, which is a uh, uh, For UK Tech Founders, it's a trusted founder community where we share knowledge with each other and we have partners who could also help to build your companies, products, commercialization, etc. So Stuart is a partner of ours. Stuart provides the uh, help with the the distribution side of um, commercials, um, building channels, etc. Andrew runs our largest tech company member, um, Malinko. So uh, so we do this session as part of uh, our first product. We have the product is uh, Deal life for providing intelligence on UK tech companies and the founders back in them. And we have uh, another product called Skilled Up Life, uh, which is a free talent marketplace for tech companies. Um, it's very hard to build a tech company. And, and the thing that costs you most is uh, employees, but if you don't have enough capital, you get stuck. Um, what we're trying to do is to provide volunteer talent who are joining to help tech companies by uh, giving their time in exchange for gaining experience. So it's a non-intrusive commitment where they will commit three months, uh, spending one hour plus per day based on what are that activities they have. So we have individuals who are employed and want to gain extra experience. We have students Uh, We have people looking for jobs who want to get experience. We have all sorts of people from 64 countries now uh, with over 18,000 and we are adding more and more every day. So without further ado, uh, the session is structured into three areas. Uh, I'll I'll start the conversation, getting to know the founders. Uh, Then Andrew will join in about 20 minutes time, and he will, get an understanding of the, the fundraising journey. And then Stuart will come towards the latter part, latter 20 minutes to discuss about the, the growth aspects, the growth plans. Um, and we go by how you appear on the screen. So I will start with Sam. Uh, Sam, you got uh, Octave. Uh, h- how do you actually pronounce that? Is it Octave or do you, you got it pronounce right. the I? Yeah, Sorry? you got it right first. Time. Okay, okay. So I is silent. Um, and uh, would you mind introducing yourself, what you did before you started Octave? Um, what was our founder team look like? What made you actually set up Octave, please?
4: Yeah, sure, and thanks very much for having me on and you're really interested to uh, to listen as well as, our, as, well as sharing our stories. So uh, for context, Octave is a privacy first digital advertising platform. And we empower consumers to control their own ad experience. We're working with brands like Vodafone, PayPal, and Volkswagen, helping them create ads that the user can personalize themselves. So the brand doesn't have to rely on cookie data. Uh, A bit about me before starting Octave, I spent 10 years in the ad tech space, mainly on the vendor side, uh, selling in tech and media solutions to brands like BMW and Adidas. Uh, usually doing that in partnership with their media agencies, so the, the kind of major, major holding groups like WPP or Dentsu you may be familiar with. Uh, I was then really fortunate to start working with the New York arms of some of those UK agencies and got to travel there quite regularly over a couple of years. I'd never actually been to New York uh, at all before getting a chance to work there and just really, really fell in love with the place. Um, So, kind of spent as much time as I could um, when I had those opportunities. And then, uh, finally, before starting October, I went on to set up my own uh, small digital consultancy, working with with smaller firms in London um, and New York. In terms of our founder journey, I have two co-founders, one technical and one commercial, all of us from the marketing and advertising space. And... We, we set up Octave a couple of years ago because we saw the way the advertising market was moving towards a more privacy-focused approach. There were growing challenges with how ads were being targeted. There was more awareness from the general public about how their data was being used and you know from some perspectives exploited by the really, really big um, ad giants. So we saw this growing opportunity to come in and create an alternative ad system, which didn't have all of the legacy issues that the, the ad system had had to that point. And we we really felt that we could create something that was a better experience for consumers that would ultimately drive better, better results for brands. So that was really the, the kind of premise for for where we started with Octave. And we, at that point, we, we decided we had between us, we invested um, the money we needed to get the thing going. We had the technical and commercial and um, all the the relationships needed to get an MVP built and out there and working. So we kept the business very, very lean to start with. And we built that initial initial product. And what that initial product did very briefly was allow the brand to access standard ad inventory on any website. But instead of serving in a typical typical banner ad that I'm sure we've all seen, we can actually deliver a two-way experience where the user had control over the ads so they could actually see the content that they they wanted to see and um, we started seeing some great results and so fortunate to put some good partnerships in place and
1: um, we've really really grown from there thank you very much Sam uh, if you don't mind muting yourself I'll move to Nimrod uh, Nimrod you've got uh, um, interesting business uh, all of all of your businesses are interesting um, would you mind explaining again, similar things, uh, you know, what led you to find code? Uh, what were you doing before and what did, what was our founder team look
0: like? Please. Sure. And, um, yeah, I'd say everyone's businesses <laughs> sound uh, more interesting than, uh, than your own once you're in <laughs> your own business for a while. Right. And it's like, uh, oh, this is a cool idea. And, uh, I love this, uh, idea that, that Sam had for, you know, privacy where ads, um, what we do, what we do is we um add collaboration into other software so if you use google docs or notion or or figma you're sort of used to working with your team inside the 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 software leave comments see who saw you know, who edited last, um, see real-time cursors when you're both uh, working at the same time. We do that for all software, right? So we we add it to your CMS, to your CRM, to whatever other three-letter acronym Um, you have, HR tools, your landing page, your your own product, anything at all. Comes as a Chrome extension, as an API. Um, So we have partners like Typeform, uh, which is a, a survey uh, sort of collection tool that that added it for all of their users so that people can build these uh, surveys together with their team, whereas they used to sort of have to copy and paste screenshots and, and collaborate elsewhere, and that creates loads of um, communication overhead. Um, as for myself, I, I started out in tech about 20 years ago uh, in an Israeli military unit that uh, a lot of the sort of tech scene in in Israel started from. And then I um, worked at a couple of startups that shut down, and I got lucky on on the third startup I joined. So sort of five years into being um, in the industry, I uh, joined a Sequoia-backed startup that just raised their Series A, and they were acquired by Facebook in 2013, the the company that used to be called Facebook. Um, And uh, I spent five and a half years at Facebook essentially running this subsidiary for Facebook as the original founders sort of moved on to bigger and better teams. And this was a small operation for Facebook. It's like 30 or so people. Um, I moved to the UK at some point in 2014. And, um, and then I left in 2018 and uh, started advising friends of mine who had some startups. That's where the idea for Cord came for me because the, um, within Facebook, all of the tools are built in-house so facebook builds its own bi dashboard it builds its own hr you know candidate uh, tracking systems all of these tools that we in you know almost any other company we work at are are being bought um off of other vendors they're all built internally and this has a lot of drawbacks but one advantage it has is that facebook um has sort of a connective tissue between all of these tools Uh, there's essentially notifications from from all of the tools and they all look the same. And there's uh, some basic functionality on like, oh, who visited this tool last and so on. When I started advising friends of mine um, after leaving Facebook, they all had B2B startups, uh, startups like Sneak, uh, which is a big cybersecurity startup here in London, uh, another one's called Riskify that recently IPO'd and so on. And they all serve teams and they have some web-based software that they sell but all of that software is built single player. And so I saw that gap, I saw how they work internally. Um, Okta, Okta, the sort of single off um, vendor says that the average SME today has more than 90 different SaaS tools. So we definitely are sort of in a drowning in, in SaaS tools, but we all Communicate through Slack and, and email. We essentially stuff all of these screenshots and links into Slack and email, and, and don't keep the communication in context. Except when you use Google Docs, then then everyone uses comments in line and doesn't just sort of refer to the Google Doc um, in communication. That's what we felt like we could bring to all the other tools. There's no reason that um, we won't be able to work just to work with Google Docs in any other tool. So um, yeah, we we started, I pitched it to a technical co-founder that I knew from Facebook and we started out in 2019 and we've been very lucky because we sort of started this out just before the pandemic and we didn't um, sort of foresee the pandemic obviously, but we did believe in the sort of idea of work becoming more distributed and remote. I had this thesis for for a few years and search to start something in that space, and then because of the pandemic, you know we can talk about later about our investment journey, but uh, we were sort of uh, propelled sort of forward through this. Um,
1: thanks, Rimrod. Um Don't don't answer this, but answer this uh, when Andrew uh, take over. But I would be interested in hearing a little bit more about your um, uh, your relationship with NFX because. Uh, They typically don't invest in UK, and I think um, obviously your relationship with Facebook may have helped. Uh, But I would love to hear a bit more about that when Andrew take over. Um, So if you don't mind muting yourself, and I'll move to Tamara. Uh, Tamara, I think uh, um, I've come to know your company uh, fairly, a a little bit more than the others in here, because I think we had a number of conversations before. But would you mind uh, again explaining uh, what led you to co-found uh, Smart Container um, with your uh, with Eduardo and others, uh, and and uh, and and what was your experience before starting this? Please, thank you.
5: Sure. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you all. Um, yeah. So Smart Container Company, uh, we focus on kegs, steel kegs for draft beer. So connecting kegs to the internet. Um, IoT-related sensors for the benefit of of solving for a lot of inefficiencies that exist in the industry, lost kegs, long keg cycles, excess inventory, um, a large carbon footprint, and so on. Um, So we have a device that attaches and and measures volume, location, temperature, and motion. Um, There hasn't been a lot of technology that's been applied. To the draft beer industry historically, so this was a gap um, that we saw uh, we could solve for. Uh, it also can apply for other industries, other containers um, in the future. But starting with beer, obviously, it's a it's a large global industry, it's a massive industry. So, um, I my history um, in terms of career, I grew up in New York City. I started my career in the hedge fund world. Um, it's where I spent a number of years before moving on to venture capital. Um, during my years as a venture capitalist, I obviously was exposed to a number of entrepreneurs and kind of was inspired by all the young people that were coming in with um, these extraordinary ideas. And I sort of watched a number of them become more household names and um, yeah, so I moved to Los Angeles in 2013 and, um, started working for a couple of different startups until landing at a FinTech where I spent the next four years building the customer service customer experience department. Um, and then I left in 2018 to launch a dating app, which was an interesting experience, um, which brought me to London and ultimately reconnected me with Eduardo, who is my co-founder. And so he's the technical founder. Um, I had the operational and uh, startup experience. Um, so it was a it was a really good balance. He was a management consultant previously, plus a mechanical engineer by uh, education. So, yeah, that's, uh, that brings us to today.
1: Um, thank you so much, Tamara. If you don't mind uh, muting yourself, I've got about three minutes left with Matt, I think. Matt, um, um, very interesting business. Uh, again, all four businesses are interesting. But, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting into no-code apps and I'm seeing the value and how rapidly you could build products now thanks to this no-code movement. So um, one of the businesses that I got going skid Up Live is, um, I don't know whether it's, it can be considered as no-code, but there was no-code involved. So therefore, it must be. Um, and when I came up with the the idea, I quickly built using WordPress. So we had the first idea on 1st April, by 7th April, we were live. By 20th, we had the first paid customer. So I think NoCode is creating a, a tremendous environment. Um, I mean, it's really interesting to hear your story. So again, the same questions. Um, what were you doing before? Uh, What led you to find uh, Toka and um, what was your founder team look like when you started, please?
6: Yeah, thanks for having me and good to meet you all. Um, So I worked for about 15 years um, in telecoms. Um, I graduated as an electronics engineer. Um, I was just flowing around in the corporate system, I guess, before I I did Toka. I was quite frustrated by... A lot of the projects that uh, I was working on, um, you know, seemingly reasonably simple technology, but always fell down on the integration uh, and, and integration into legacy platforms or you know transformation, which included a lot of legacy systems. Um, and there was also another sort of area I could see. Just we'll come on to no code, but. Um, There's always a demand for creating portals and apps or flowing information to the right people or flowing information up to people so they can make the right decision. Um, And so these kind of things interested me when I left the corporate world. It was I was well paid. I was comfortable. Um, I was working on quite interesting stuff, definitely working with people. I liked and enjoyed, you know, removing any of the technical frustrations I might have had. Um, and I kind of just quit and um, I had the support of my my wife, thankfully. Um, I didn't have a huge amount of money in the bank. Um, I'm, not, I'm not from the, uh, the the wealthy classes where I can afford to just quit and uh, live on the bank of mum and dad or anything. So I had to come up with a few ideas really quickly and um I, I had to decorporate myself ultimately as well and try a few different things out. And about six months in, we decided we were going to start building this robotic platform. And at first, it was a physical robotic platform um, for controlling touchscreen devices. Um, that kind of fell down. It wasn't successful. Um, I was going to need millions of pounds to kind of put into that business. And I couldn't really see... Um, and a huge revenue at the end of it, even if I could convince investors to uh, to back it. And we we fell into um, software automation to start with. So one of our prospects at the time had said, could you take data that comes into a SharePoint workflow and take some details out of it? There's about 30 different fields and enter them into an Oracle procurement interface. And so we kind of thought about that and set about, sort of developing our product. So coming on to Toker, um it's uh, what we're, we're trying to solve is in businesses allow you to flow data between systems really easily. So they could be legacy. They could have a really old GUI uh, interface. They could be sat behind some old technology they might be sat behind Citrix um, and be able to control them, get data, and then be able to transfer that data into other platforms or make decisions and uh, and uh, intelligent decisions on that data and flow it between systems um, that gave us this really powerful integration layer so at the moment we can talk with any legacy platform, any green screen tech it doesn 't matter what you 've got also modern apis modern platforms, and then on top of that we've built then this no code apps layer so where we've now got a, where we are unique is you've got kind of two markets, you've got the no code apps market, um, which is more focused on the front end and building that visual part. And they tend to stop where uh, they'll connect into external APIs, Firebase or whatever, but they don't talk to an old GUI platform. Um, and that kind of falls down then when you go into a legacy company or a large medium to, you know, medium sized organization, because they're going to have those type of systems. And so the no code apps technology just doesn't go that extra mile. So you have to go and start building extra technology at the back end. And so you lose your benefit. Um, so we're kind of in this, we've got kind of this dual position where we can, um, add a lot of benefit for enterprises over just the standard no code apps products. But then if you look at the old automation products like the RPA tools, we bring this whole world of apps to it so you can bring your people into the loop. So we sit between those two worlds. Um, the founding team, um, we, we took investment in 2018. Um, we've been very much a heavy, heavy focus on development for the first few years. The technology, you know, if I could go back, I'd probably pick a simpler startup, we've had a good old time with the technology, but as we are today, our platform is running, uh, NHS processes. We've got, you know, very sensitive patient data and things like that, that sits on prem at the, the NHS. Um, but we, we, we're, we're running some really responsible processes. And so the technology is very hard and, uh, very reliable now. And, uh, we're now just starting to scale the platform out and bring in as many integrations as we can, and build out our marketplace so that people can start to build example applications, build uh, or you know build on top of example applications, build on automations and integrate on their platforms, and just get that whole thing going. And so we just recently took um, our investment, and most of that focused on sales and marketing, and then building out these integrations, really starting to scale the platform out. So we're quite excited, um, and uh, yeah, we our, our challenges are getting bigger. But you know, the kind of the what we're doing is just getting bigger day by day. So yeah, it's, it's exciting times. Um, and Andrew, thank you.
1: Th- th- thank you very much, my order you, Andrew.
6: Yeah, th- thank you. So uh,
3: we'll loop back now um, to Sam. Uh, <laughs> So Sam, you mentioned that uh, you did a, um, you know, fairly typical. You you, know, you put your own cash in first. You moved to an MVP, and now you you got your your seed raise? I mean, you you mentioned about kind of partnerships. I'm wondering in that um, kind of process, where did you start to talk about the partners? Were these ones you already have through your your previous kind of are selling to kind of the the, the top brands? Uh, just explain that kind of the, the MVP and the partnership relationship, please
4: yeah absolutely and um, yes you 're right Andrew. It was sort of, sort of from between the three of us um, between our previous experiences we'd sort of got to know quite a few of the, the sort of the, the larger and also more medium sized vendors in the ad tech space so down from your google facebook obviously now amazon the, there's a, it a huge layer of of different technology companies providing different different kinds of services, and what we found was we we created something that was really innovative and really different uh through being obviously a brand new company and very nimble and able to deliver what the market needs needed at that point um and then we could partner with the larger vendors who liked liked the product and saw saw how their clients so the bigger brands and the bigger agencies would benefit from the product and so it was kind of a win-win for both companies you know we didn't have um, you know, a big sales team, we didn't have all the resources, marketing, etc, all the usual stuff of a larger company. Um, and they they wouldn't be able to go and build something sort of totally different from the way the market was currently working. So we were able to put those partnerships in place. And suddenly we had um, effectively had outsourced sales teams as a way of distributing our technology. Um, and that was a really, really important thing that we did, which allowed us to to scale the technology without having to to take on um, investment uh, you know institutional money or e- even angel money too early on so we kept control of what we were doing so it was and thankfully that that worked out um obviously the, the pandemic was was quite challenging at one point um but aside aside from that um that was a real one of the things we got really right
3: i've been suggesting to, to, to know the um at, at what point did kind of the, the engagement with your MVP? work? did you did you kind of work on the product, then approach the the partner the relationship with? Did you do kind of like co, you know, do kind of collaborative kind of work? You know, is, did you see that the risk in bringing on your as well trusted contacts too early in the process, or is that something you you deliberately
4: kind of trying to do? well we were really lucky because the first thing we did is my one of my co-founders has another business that owns a load of publisher websites (laughs) so we were able to as soon as we built it um, effectively deliver the product and get real real user feedback as to whether it was working or not Um, and then so we were already reasonably confident that when we took the product out to that next level of external companies we picked ones. obviously we had good relationships with that we we knew well and we could we could test in a controlled manner, but we were already quite confident because we've been fortunate enough to do a lot of that early-stage testing almost in an internal environment, not yeah. quite, but as close. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Sam. Um,
3: I think if you get so our mute now, we move on to, to Nimrod. Uh, at Cord, so yeah, you had, you had kind of an, an interesting kind of journey um, that you, you, you've gone on and you know previous this kind of five and a half years at facebook now i'll ask kind of manosh's question here about nfx you know uh Manoshi comment was they don't typically invest kind of in the uk uh, but i see they were on your first kind of seed and then in your series a can you tell us a bit more about that please
0: yeah absolutely um so yeah so nfx for those who don't know are a big uh, fund they're based in the us and there's a partner based in israel um and uh, they indeed, we we were the first investment of NFX in the UK. I'm, I'm the only Israeli. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew.
3: So yes, oh, that's, that's interesting. Okay, so how did you do that?
0: Yeah, so uh, it it does come from me being Israeli, um, but we are a UK company, and I'm the only Israeli in in uh, Cord right now. Um, basically when we started fundraising the pandemic um the pandemic hit and i a few days um before the lockdown started in in the uk uh, but the news was was already sort of you know it was very clear that there's this huge um you know thing going on and that people don't know what will happen i think the market reacted there was like a drop of 15% in in nasdaq um by then and i called up a few friends who were uh, in VC and they told me, listen, uh, LPs, the investors in VC companies are not uh, doing capital calls that they're meant to do. So that means that they're not putting money into VC. Uh, Some of it is a portfolio effect. So if they're, you know, if they're, uh, Nasdaq is down, their like, public stock investments are down, and so their startup private investments are up um, by relative proportion, and they don't want to put that much money into the risky sort of private early-stage investment. And so the reaction that I saw on Twitter and heard from friends in VC was very much like, this is shutting down. If you want to raise, you have to raise now. And we didn't mean to raise, but we decided based on this that we have to react fast. And in just a couple of weeks, things turned around completely. And suddenly on the back of um, stocks like Zoom going up and a lot of discussion about remote work and so on, um, the the reverse had happened. So we, we went into this thinking, oh, we must, you know, get some cash, otherwise we don't know how long this will last. Um, and ended up on the other side like being super super sort of um, uh, just like you know a lot of a lot of interest in us and and um, people super excited to talk to us and all across the world as well so geos opened up so i was i had a uh, 20 month old daughter then uh, now she's three and a half and um, we went into lockdown and, and so she was out of nursery and I would spend half the day with her and then go on VC calls from like 1pm to 11pm while my wife watched over her um, and just do them over Zoom um, and have calls all around the world. We spoke to funds from Israel, from um, all around Europe and from the US. And so Gigi was introduced to me by some of our other Israeli angels and investors. We took on uh, quite a quite a few angels. and. and he really wanted to lead the round, and we ended up taking Stride as the lead, and um, Giggy followed on. And then um, off the back of that, I introduced him to a couple of other founders here in London. And now I think NFX has already has like four investments in the UK, and I, I think all of them are basically uh, friends <laughs> or you know other people that I know from the tech scene in the UK that have. Uh, that we've introed into NFX. Uh, So there's a company called Collective Benefits and another one called Breeze, uh, all of which... uh, And, you know, NFX, Pete Flint, who is one of the founding partners of NFX, is is originally British. So, you know, he he does have sort of ties here and um, they're they're very familiar with sort of the ecosystem. They just never, never invested before.
3: Great. Thank you. And and just kind of your your latest round, you brought on kind of Index Ventures and... I just tell us a bit about uh, that, please. Because it was, you know, what just on, just on the thirteen million.
0: Yeah. So that was also. So what happened is, um, in my in the, the seed round, we took a lot of angel um, money. I don't can't really sort of say what motivated me to do that it was just sort of ongoing, and I I kept saying yes to people that seemed really exciting to work with and seemed really smart and nice. And it ended up being a huge problem for me to find place for everyone within the um, cap table and the allocations, because again, a lot of people wanted, you know, bigger allocations, a lot of funds and so on. Um, but w- one of the last people to join in was Jan Hammer from Index, who's a long time index partner. He's the, um, Series A investor and on the board of uh, companies like Revolut and Robinhood and and so on. And he came in with a personal angel check to the seed round, but immediately treated us as if we were a portfolio companies, like amazing, you know, support introduced us to the whole index team. They helped us a ton with everything from recruiting to um, finding, you know, users for user interviews and uh, strategy and everything just really sort of took us in um, and met with us regularly and stuff. And so when we started talking about, all right, well, is it time to raise again? You know, there's, again, sort of good uh, uh, support for, for our kinds of companies in the market and might be worthwhile and so on. There's a lot of funds that we left out of the previous run that really wanted to invest. We're very keen and we chasing us. And so um, when that started, uh, so sort of that thought started gathering pace, Jan basically told us, look, we want in, we'll beat any offer you have, you know, let us, let, you already work with us, you know how it is, let's, let's make this happen. And so um, we did that and we took Index on as the lead, but then NFX doubled down and they were very, very big uh, co-lead of our, um, of our second investment and the rest did just Parada or, or Super Parada. Mm Nimrod, thank you very much for
3: sharing. That sounds like a a great position to be in, where you've got kind of people kind of competing for your attention and to kind of get on the cap table. So uh, I appreciate your time, sharing sharing that with us. Uh, uh, Over to kind of Tamara and uh, Smart Container Co. um, I mean, you know, working in VC, um, you know, you had you had kind of a bit of insight into into the process. I mean, how how did that? how did that influence how, how you kind of went about your own startup? Did, did, it, did it influence much? Did you see, um, you know, startups that work well, not so well?
5: Um, you know, it had some bearing, mostly maybe like contributing to my cynicism in that we were <laughs> super early stage, uh, a hardware intensive company. Mm. And I just sort of knew we weren't really at the stage where we would be of any kind of institutional interest which was yeah. true. and which is absolutely fine. I mean, there's got to be a, a build up and you have to kind of go through um, each level. And so um, I had a great network, you know, a little bit more limited in London, because I was new to London, but enough so that I, I had great um, conversations that I was able to have, which is always useful and certainly can bode well for future rounds. Yeah. Um, and we had a couple of very interested angels in the beginning, um, but we ended up also raising via CrowdCube, so we did a, a mix of angels and CrowdCube. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, it was that. I mean,
3: you mentioned that you know because of maybe the harder requirements that wouldn't be, you know, as as of interest to institutions. Kind of initially, w- was that because um, you know you, you thought the kind of CrowdCube they wouldn't have that that concern. I Going mean, CrowdCube normally, you know, it's very popular B to C. This is B B to B. So why why
5: down that route? yeah well and so also due to having had a background in VC, I was also um, a little bit biased against the idea of an equity crowdfunding platform just mm. because when I was in VC many moons ago um, there was a bit of a stigma around that it was sort of like implied that anyone who's doing crowdfunding sort of like can't get money from elsewhere from like yeah savvy investors. So I was a little bit like nose turned up at it at first, but credit to Crowdcube, you know, they really pursued us. And then we took the time to sort of hear hear them out. And um, I raised the same thing. I said, you know, usually it's more of like a b to c focus on these sites? Like, are you sure that we would be appealing to the investor base? And ultimately, because it's beer, um, it sounds silly, but of course, everybody can sort of <laughs> grasp the concept of beer. Is interested, a lot of people, you know, it catches their attention just sort of superficially. And yeah. then it's a, it's a digestible idea that kegs you know are sort of hard to track and it's they're literally these opaque objects that people don't have insight into um managing and it's the most expensive asset that these companies are investing in and so yeah it ended up um being a good hard sell from crowdcube and and we went with it and we actually did two raises with them because we did our seed round in two tranches um Okay, And yeah, it it resonated really well. And I'm really glad that we did that. It's a lot of work, actually. um, But in the end, helpful, because it's also a marketing platform. So not only did we get a lot of um, exciting traction in terms of investment, but we some of the best connections that we forged in terms of progressing the company um, came via Crowdcube. And that includes uh working with brew dog um they found us on on crowdcube and, and asked for an introduction so that's been s- super impactful
3: F- fascinating to hear brilliant so tomorrow just g- given the time we'll move on but i think that might be something that um uh stuart might kind of pick up in the in, in, the, in the next section so t- thank you for kind of sharing, sharing that with us uh matt we've got just kind of a, a couple of minutes left of, of, of this section so uh at, so to, at Toker, to, okay. I mean, you described it as kind of no-code kind of applications. I mean, also, I mean, I can't see it you're kind of talking about, but are you also kind of RPA as well? Is that kind of a part of yes. the or? Yeah. You, know, you, don't, you don't
6: explicitly call it that, do you, though, I see? No, we don't. Um, RPA, um, I guess it's a, a lot of focus on a particular capability, but... Hmm um i mean we're more focused on the solution in terms of how you connect systems and build applications to support your customer and your team so we do have rpa technology um built within the tool but then we also have deep api integration as well Um, so we can yeah uh, so effectively you you kind of need the whole mix if that makes sense yeah
3: Yeah. we'll take this offline but but you know i've we have a lot of NHS customers, so it might be worth having a chat separate. But anyway, let's move on to the discussion around kind of the, the, the investment. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned you had to kind of de, decorporate kind of yourself when you kind of entered the startup world. Uh, kind of, kind of, what, what did that mean? I mean, your, <laughs> your, your journey seems saying like, you, know, you worked you corporate, you had a good salary, you gave it all up, and kind of dived into win the wonderful world of startups. Um, you know, how, how, how was that kind of? Kind of journey initially and, and when did you decide to to start kind of raising money during this process
6: yeah i i guess um i i thought when i graduated it was the right thing to do to go and work some big logos and uh, that was fine um, i wasn't probably very good at playing the corporate game to be fair um and um i, I was i probably was a misfit i'm not entirely sure um, so but you learn a lot of traits when your salary is paid and you um you know you've been given a big budget by your your managers or your exec team and you're, you're running projects you kind of you have a different set of skills ultimately um than what you need in a startup you know some of the skills are transferable like you know your diplomacy your managing teams and you know, actually being aware of the problems uh, within industry and within enterprises is really important for what i do um, I guess if we were a B2C company, sometimes it's not so important, but for we're B2B. Um, so it's really important to understand what the, the problems are. So I suppose I spent 15 years understanding what those problems were. But I kind of put them in a little box and just got rid of them. And in, you know, in startup, in a scale-up organization, it's important to, you need a lot of other skills. I'm an engineer. I'm a chartered engineer. I'm not naturally a salesman. I'm not a great salesman but you need to be, you're, you're going to be the person who's going to get your first sales. You need to understand how to sell. You need to be able to understand how to convince your customers, particularly your very first customers that, um, your technology is gonna, it's gonna work and they can trust in it. And I didn't have any of those skills when I started. And so, um, you kind of just need to learn that. And, uh, particularly, you know, as I say, if you're an engineer, there's a set of skills that, uh, uh, yeah, you've you've kind of just got to get stuck into, and that took me a good few years to kind of get my head around. Um, hopefully, that makes makes a bit more sense. But yeah, I'm, I'm good at making words up. Yeah, yeah, no, no So, 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 so now no, you
3: you you fully de-corporate, decorporated <laughs> yourself, and you know, and the <laughs> the kind of wear many hats the world of kind of startups. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I mean, this is your kind of second round. Just I think just just kind of in the last kind of minute or so, this is kind of your 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 second kind of round isn't it uh, Can you just explain kind of the process between that first and second round and kind of what uh you know w- where did your mvp kind of come in this and um and, and your kind of customers you know you mentioned you've got more mature products now
6: yeah um i suppose i did gloss over i built a bootstrap company in 2015 really to build this initial right. idea out as a project um so i probably put 100 or hundred and fifty thousand of the money from that business uh, really into building out this idea, so our f- very our first formal seed round, if you like, was uh, for just over a million pounds. Um, but I had to obviously bootstrap before that to get to that point, and I think that's partly due to the way that the UK um, investment industry, um, particularly in venture capital, uh, they require a lot more certainty. Yeah, they're not going to invest based upon an idea, um, or uh, that was my experience. Um, the second round um, is uh, obviously for double that amount, but it's very much to focus on the sales and marketing. So we've proven out our technology. We've had a heck of a lot of success in the NHS and we're also growing really quickly in the legal sectors. Um, and they're kind of our main main focus areas. What we need to do now is to get people to be aware of this technology. Um, you can do a lot with it really quickly, as Manoj was saying. And uh, it's just educating the market, but also we need to package our technology so it's really quick to deploy and it's really quick to adopt as well for our prospects and customers. Um, Matt, so that's sorry,
3: bit, I, I, yeah. I'll well, Yeah. You, you, you're encroaching onto onto Stuart's kind of area. So what I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll ask you to, to mute yourself here, and I'll, I'll hand over to Stuart <laughs> to, uh, just kind of t- to, uh, to
2: the last third of the uh, the program. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. <clears throat> so we're going to follow the same sort of process around. We're going to start with yourself, Sam. And this part of the show is just actually just delving into a little bit more about what you're going to use your investment for, whether that's product development, sales and marketing, both, um, put some money on the lottery, that sort of thing. So it um, be good to understand from your side, Sam, <clears throat> with Octave. You're going against the grain in terms of click metrics and uh, going more active attention-based, which I'd like to understand a little bit more, but what, what are you looking to do over the next six to 12 months with your first round of investment? Yeah, uh, two of those,
4: Stuart. We're not not planning on the lottery one, but yes, we are. <laughs> um, we, we have, actually, similar to what Matt was just saying, We we sort of got to the point where we've proven our technology works. We're fortunate to have those partnerships that I mentioned and some great brands that have proven that they can get better results from, from working with our kind of technology. Um, we have still got some really exciting things in our product roadmap, which we're going to use this initial bit of, of investment to to do. Um, but a chunk of it is really about the about scaling it and the, the distribution and a couple of other key markets that we've got some traction in um, and really, really staffing up to, to deliver that. So um, we're fortunate that we are... Uh, profitable and um, we as I mentioned earlier, intentionally kept the business very lean um, so that we we could really focus on building a sustainable business um, but yeah now now we're going to really be using those funds for
2: in those areas and in terms of those growth and those focus um, around that aspect, uh, have you already got a head start on that are you're already out there or are you actually going you know, are you building the the plan from scratch? Yeah,
4: we, we kind of already got our, our got our plan, and we um, we've got a great chairman, uh, David Patterson, who is the the co-founder of a PhD, one of the big big media agencies that sold to sold to Omnicom, um, and he's been he's been great at kind of giving me the confidence with some of the decisions that I want to make and helping generally steer the business in a really good direction. So we're kind of you know we knew. It, it, there were no sort of surprises really we were able to sort of control the amount that we wanted to raise um and we we effectively already started um deploying that so so yeah we're 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 sort of halfway down the road already
2: perfect um, perfect that's great and again sam thanks for taking the time joining us today now have a little rest get your lottery tickets ready it's <laughs> not even the you. best of funds <laughs> Thank you. And over to yourself, Nimrod, in terms of uh, Radical HQ, um, an API sort of model is always uh, an interesting one to have a conversation about because there's many ways through integration partners, direct sales, you know, blends. So I'd be interested to see where, where you are now Going to go uh, in terms of that direction. And also, again, you know, are those funds allocated across products, or?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I think we we learned a couple of things that were interesting to me and not obvious to me when I came in. Because like uh, Matt, you know, I don't come from sales. I came from engineering and product uh, management. Uh, and So I had a lot of learning on B2B sales here. But um, we definitely are allocating the vast majority of the, the money to um, hiring engineers and product people and designers and, and so on. Because uh, we do we are building something that 's technologically sort of complex, and um, that 's what we feel is going to help us win, and also we need very very sort of highly skilled talent and we want to pay them well, and it also you know that 's what the market demands and so we are hiring. People who are ex-Google, ex-Facebook a lot of the time and to sort of give them a, a reason to move uh, from there, that that's a part of, you know, so the, maybe you can think of it as a, like the tax of building something that is very, you know... Um, uh, sort of, yeah, sophisticated technology, I guess, again, sort of like what Matt and Sam are building definitely, probably Tamara as well with like hardware and IOT, these are, you know, highly, highly trained people. So that's a lot of it. And now on the sales and marketing side, we actually had a bunch of, so all of the growth that we have right now is basically inbound. Uh, We were in web summit, but we didn't really get leads there where we got leads is like, we. Um, had a a cross-promotion with Retool, which is another no-code tool because we had um, support for Cord uh, to collaborate on your Retool apps. And then the Typeform team were using Retool and saw this, or they saw the blog because it was tweeted by, by Retool, and then they wanted this for themselves. And then once it rolled out in Typeform, there were a couple of Typeform users that are SaaS vendors themselves that saw it in Typeform and reached out. So we want to really reinforce this sort of early kind of viral or word of mouth uh, motion. And we're building a tool that is very sort of product-led growth where you can just go in and download. Now, it doesn't doesn't work entirely product-led because as you say, an API, there's a lot of questions that bigger companies like we're talking to some public companies to some um other very big you know sort of nine figure revenue companies when they want to integrate it they they won't do it you know without talking to sales essentially this is talking to me right now and we're not planning to grow sales significantly anytime soon um but but we do need that sort of starting with um uh, product-led approach where they can just download and go and get uh, access to the API. Some of the emails I get initially are like, I don't want to talk to you, I just want to see the, the API. Seriously, people just want to uh, try it out themselves. But then later on, they do want to speak to someone in order to understand you know the pricing the customization they're not going to just, uh, swipe a card for you know uh six figures or whatever it is
2: that totally makes sense and and, uh, and great context as well there in the world. Uh, and, and again thanks for joining us you can now take a break i'm going to move over to yourself tomorrow um and, and again we, we had a company on whether it was last week or a couple of weeks ago that were in the um, try this well the were disrupting them all coming from a different angle from the hardware and IoT, uh, I'd be interested to see how you're going to tackle go-to-market with your your round of investment uh, and start to make those disruptions happen.
5: Yeah, um, you know, we've been really fortunate thus far in um, the inbound interest that we've received, so we haven't really done any marketing, though I would count the Crowdcube campaigns, um, just because they are a lot of work and it is as I mentioned, sort of um, an effective marketing tool. Um, but yeah, that some of the funds that we raised most recently is it's going to go towards the marketing effort. We just brought on a um, somewhat senior guy who spent his career at IBM um, in technology sales and business development. And so he's really going to be spearheading a lot of that effort for us. Um, but again, we do have a pipeline of interested parties. We do have two pretty key pilot uh, clients that we've been working with already for the past year. And then we have some really big companies that um, we've one in particular submitted a proposal to that we're following up with in January, which if if all of that goes well, we won't really have to devote too much um, capital towards the marketing side of it.
2: That's excellent. So you've already got a base there. And again, just by what you're doing, disrupting that market and giving some context already happening because, yeah, it seems it's like a sector that is just waiting for companies like yourselves to go in there and disrupt it a little bit more than it is at present. It's still. um.
5: Yeah. And COVID, you know, obviously there were a lot of challenges um, for many different companies, but somehow we did actually find that um, it presented an opportunity for us wherein these breweries or these you know, keg logistics companies, um, they were much less busy during that time. So they were able to sit down and devote hours to us that we wouldn't have otherwise had to, you know, focus on what are their pain points, who are the stakeholders, what are the things that are more valuable to them on a day-to-day basis that they don't currently have. And so guiding how we were creating the, um, The insights, the reporting tool that we'll have from our software platform that's being fed from the IoT device. So that was pretty extraordinary um, for us in terms of the progress we could make.
2: That's great. And yeah, people are definitely open to having more conversations in COVID time because there there was less, there there was more time for them to have that. But again, tomorrow, thank you for spending the time with us today. close. Thank you, Matt, to close out the show. Um, I just want to understand again with your investment, and it's interesting because you're you're in a space that I work with daily at the moment around whole sort of automation and apps uh, and legacy as well, an area that's open for... Um, newcomers to come and disrupt it's, it's interesting to hear about green screens and stuff having worked at oracle and some for about 15 years i uh, spent quite a long time staring at those things um but yeah from your side Matt, how what's what's the plan with
6: your seed follow-ons out of the next six to 12 months yeah so i obviously touched on it um a couple of times um it is my a good half of it is going into sales and marketing um we're bringing on a CRO, which is, um, you know, something new to me. Um, but we um, we found some really good candidates at the moment in the market. So, you know, getting that person to come in and just sort of focus all the efforts really around the, the product and you know how we pitch the product and how we help the market understand what what we're offering, uh, because some of these things can be complicated. But that's pretty much where most of the money's going. Uh, we're going to just secure out um, some of our dev team where we're a little bit light on the ground you get bottlenecks and things like that um, and we kind of appear to have gone against the grain because we've moved back into an office but um, we we have our flexi working plans and things like that so um, we're using this as kind of a hub to be able to collaborate and obviously you know the the funding really just helps with a lot of that so Pretty simple stuff. Um, We're probably going to be going for about 18 to uh, 20 months at the moment with the current funding. Um, We'll see what traction we get. Um, But uh, at at the moment, um, yeah, things are busy. Uh, The market seems to be picking up um, after the pandemic. That's That's, that's me done.
2: It's great to hear that you're going back into an office um, because, you know, that. I think we all need to do that and, and kickstart that back off again because it just makes a difference to that whole social from a, a CRO or kickstarting sales off. is a great time to get that movement going. Most that definitely, that's but right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, but again, Matt, thanks for taking the time on this on this Monday uh, morning afternoon time. Uh, but you can now take a break. I'm just going to hand over to Milo to do uh, wrap up
1: notes. Uh, thank you so much, Stuart. Uh, it's uh, amazing four stories we heard today, and uh, thank you so much for giving one hour of your time this uh, busy uh, Monday. Um, and uh, Sam Nimrod, Tamara Mas, great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, and have a great um, week, um, and catch you some other time. Take care. Bye. Thanks, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.